0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. So, I want to share something personal with you all, uh, and that is that um, we are embarking on a preaching series for the next couple of months, which we're calling Beyond. Uh, If you get your newsletter, you should know all about it. It's a plug for the newsletter. Read the newsletter. All right. Anyway... This Beyond series is all about how you live as a Christian and impact on the people around you who don't know Jesus. And I, I've been in church quite a long time, not always as a pastor. Uh, I started going to church when I was about 16, and I've heard a lot of sermons in my time telling me that I need to tell my friends about Jesus. Has anyone heard a sermon like that before? A few hands going up. Does anyone not like those sermons very much? We're doing a whole series of those sermons, and I feel weird about that. I feel uncomfortable uh, being that guy because I I don't like those sermons. This is me being honest with you right now. Uh, Lewis doesn't even know this, so he's probably like, Johnny, what are you doing? Um, Lewis preached a cracker sermon this morning, all about how to share Jesus with your friends, uh, how to go to the ends of the earth, or at least to the end of your street. It was a really good sermon. I highly recommend it. My sermon is going to be different to that one. Uh, my sermon is a sermon to me, to, to, to tell me what I need to hear. And I think maybe God's put this on my heart and put me here to share this with you, because maybe some of you guys feel the same way. It just makes me feel guilty. Like, half of my friends would not call themselves Christians. They don't know Jesus, and I feel guilty that I don't talk to them about Jesus enough, and that I haven't convinced them yet to be Christians. Like, does anyone feel like that? I see a couple of people nodding. Oh good. I'm not alone. I felt alone for a second there. I thought you all thought I was crazy. I've had weird experiences over the years. Um, The first... The first Christian that I know of, who counts me as the person who impacted them and got them to Jesus, uh, is a guy called Luke. And I was about 17, and I was at church, and this guy Luke, who went to church with me, came up to me after church one night, Sunday night service like this, and said to me, I just wanted to tell you, I've decided to follow Jesus, I've become a Christian, and I want to tell you especially, because I feel like you helped me get to this point. I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't tell you about how to become a Christian. I didn't pray a prayer with you. I, why me? What's this got to do with me? It was a weird conversation where I was like, I didn't evangelize to you. Why are you thanking me for this? Um, I, I had some... Some failed attempts in high school of telling my friends about Jesus where they didn't want to know about Jesus, and I think I kind of put people off and and alienated people a little bit. Uh, There was one guy in particular, a guy called Adam, who was like the smartest guy in my school, Uh, and I was friends with him and it was a little bit intimidating, and I thought, I'd better tell Adam about Jesus, because that's what you're supposed to do, because I'd heard those sermons telling you what you're supposed to do about telling people about Jesus, and he had every atheist argument, like, I don't know where, it probably got them from the internet, right? He had all these arguments to prove why Christianity was wrong, why I was stupid, and he made me feel stupid, and It didn't work. Actually, it did. He is now a Christian, but not because of me. Um, But that's a whole other story. It's going to take too long to tell. So anyway, basically, I decided from these negative experiences that I was going to just ignore those sermons about telling people about Jesus and just be a private Christian and just shut my mouth. And there's another private Christian in the Bible who I want to share with you today. I've called him the runaway prophet. Can anyone guess what his name is? Jonah. Jonah was a runaway prophet. Jonah wanted to be a a private prophet. I guess we can't call him a Christian because this is like a thousand years before Jesus. But, you know, we'll we'll be a a bit vague with the terminology here. Certainly he wanted to be a private prophet. He only wanted to be the kind of prophet who went to people who already knew about God and told them about God. Like being a Christian who only talks about God at church, Jonah wanted to be a prophet who only talked about God with Jewish people who already knew this God. And so one day, he's praying to God. Uh, He loves God. He's talking to God. Uh, God often talks to him, gives him messages to give to people. And this particular day, uh, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and this is what God said to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. There you go. They're the first three verses of the book of Jonah. What an opening. Bang, straight into the story. Here's Jonah. He's listening to God. He knows God. He loves God. He's, he's a good Believer, he hears God's voice, but he runs away. Do you see yourself? I see myself here. This looks like me. I hear God. I hear God tell me in Lewis's sermon this morning you need to share Jesus. You need to go to the end of your street and share Jesus with someone. And I want to run away. And the author of the book of Jonah doesn't tell us why. It just says Jonah ran away. Uh, he got on a boat because uh, he thought that was the quickest way to get as far away as possible from Nineveh. Uh, if you know your Middle Eastern geography, uh, basically um, Israel, where Jonah was living, uh, is kind of nearish to the Mediterranean coast. Uh, and Nineveh is inland from there. So he figures if I get on a boat and sail out into the sea, I'm going as far away in the opposite direction as I can. And according to the author, he got on a ship bound for Tarshish, which is probably in modern-day Spain. So he is going as far away as he knows he can get. Uh, They didn't know what was beyond Spain. They didn't have boats that could go out into the open Atlantic Ocean. So he's going to the other end of the Mediterranean, as far as he can get from Nineveh. But soon enough, there's a storm. And the waves crash, and the wind blows, and the sailors freak out. And they think, we are going to die in this storm. And they tell everyone on the ship, pray to your gods. Whoever you worship, wherever you're from in the world, pray to your gods. And they say, especially to Jonah, because Jonah's asleep, they wake him up and say, you've got to pray to your God. Our gods aren't listening. Maybe your God will take notice and we'll be saved and we won't perish. And then they, uh, they cast lots to determine who is to blame for this storm. That's a bit of a superstitious thing to do, but I guess, you know, in the middle of a calamity, you'll do anything. They cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah and they confront him and they say, it's your fault, isn't it? And Jonah says, yep, yep, it's my fault because I'm running away from God and I shouldn't be. He realizes he's doing the wrong thing, but He doesn't give up by saying, I should go and do the right thing now. He gives up and says, I should just die. (laughs) So I've called this stubbornly giving up. He's not really giving up. He's not going to go to Nineveh. He just wants to die. And he figures, the storm will stop if I'm dead. So just throw me overboard into the storm, into the sea, and I'll drown. And then God won't have any reason to have this storm, and you guys will be okay. He could just tell him to turn the ship around, couldn't he? But no, he says, throw me in the sea. And God does something interesting. God takes this opportunity to share something of who he is with these sailors who don't know him. These sailors cry out. To Jonah's God and ask for forgiveness for what they're about to do. And then they throw him overboard. And in that instant, the storm ceases miraculously, supernaturally. And they are so shocked at what they have just witnessed that it says here At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Did you see what just happened? They became Christians. Well, not Christians. It's a 1,000 years before Jesus. But they became believers in the true God, in Jonah's God, through Jonah. What a great evangelist. What a great witness. Good on you, Jonah. Anyway, that's not the end of the story. He doesn't drown. You guys know what happens, right? He gets swallowed by a giant fish. And all of chapter two of Jonah, you can read Jonah later. I'm not going to read every verse tonight because, you know, we're doing the whole story, the whole book. Mind you, it's only—I think I counted—it's 48 verses long. Uh, If you've got a paper Bible in front of you, it probably fits on like two pages. It does in mine. Anyway, all of chapter two, a quarter of the book, is devoted to this prayer that Jonah prays inside the fish. He quietly, privately, worships. God for saving him. He prays in that fish. He worships in that fish. He is willing to worship God. Uh, He's not so stubborn to give up on God. He just doesn't really want to do this whole Nineveh job. But eventually, I guess he sees no other option. Uh, God seems determined to... Have Jonah do what he wants Jonah to do. And so, in the least dignified way ever, God resurrects Jonah. Uh, Have a look, if you like comedy in the Bible, at the last verse of chapter 2, at the end of this beautiful poetic section, this prayer, this song that Jonah sings. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. (laughs) Salvation through vomit. Hallelujah. It's a funny story, isn't it? Poor Jonah is saved in such an undignified way, and yet it's kind of wonderful, isn't it? I mean, God had every right to say to Jonah, you are a stubborn fool, I'll just let you drown, or let you die in the fish, or whatever, And I'll just pick someone else to go to Nineveh who's going to listen to me. Who's going to do the right thing. But God perseveres with Jonah. God is gracious to Jonah. He saves him. He isn't angry with Jonah for being a runaway prophet, for being stubborn, for giving up, for refusing to follow God's calling. He wants to give Jonah a second chance. The first couple of verses of chapter 1 that I read before, listen, if you've got a good memory, listen to the first couple of verses of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It's like word for word exactly the same as the first couple of verses of chapter 1, apart from that little bit that says a second time. Jonah is getting... A rerun. Jonah is getting a second chance. God is a God of second chances. I don't know if you see yourself in Jonah. If you've failed before, you can have another go. Here's Jonah's other go Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it from one end to the other. Jonah began by going one day's journey into the city and then proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. How would you be if I got up tonight and that was my sermon? (laughs) A, he doesn't go all the way into the middle of the city. He goes a third of the way in and goes, that'll do. And B, his sermon, summarized here, I guess, in one sentence, is pretty basic, almost to the point of self-sabotage. He is doing the absolute bare minimum, and his idea here is he wants to, it seems, he wants to preach a sermon to the Ninevites that will not convince them of anything, he doesn't want them to repent. He's just doing the absolute basic bare minimum. And let me read how it works out from verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is the traditional clothes that you would wear when you were in mourning, uh, "'When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh,' because Jonah couldn't be bothered walking all that way, uh, "'he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, "'covered himself with sackcloth as well, "'and sat down in the dust. "'This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. "'By the decree of the king and his nobles, "'do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, "'taste anything. "'Do not let them eat or drink, "'but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. "'Let everyone call urgently on God.' Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Or maybe we should say the destruction Jonah had threatened. Isn't that incredible? Again, twice now jonah has preached terrible evangelistic messages the first one he didn't even know he was preaching a message when he talked to the sailors and asked them to throw him overboard and they all became believers and the second one he basically said you're all gonna die and they said we'd better believe it works it's a miracle and jonah's response to the wonderful city-wide revival, the salvation of the whole city of Nineveh because of Jonah's terrible preaching? Let me read uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Why are people laughing? It's completely... uh, normal response, isn't it? Oh, it's because of the slide. It's okay, it's pointing, it's not pointing at you. Uh, Jonah is angry at God. He is furious with God. I couldn't think of anything else to put as my little graphic in the corner of the slide to give you the, the sense of his anger. He is giving God the finger. He prays to the Lord and says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew you would do this, and I am angry about it. See, it turns out that Jonah isn't just lazy or scared. He hasn't just had some bad experiences in the past of sharing his faith with other people. He hates the Ninevites, hates them. He cannot stand the idea that these people might receive the grace and compassion and love of God. And he knows that's what God is always up to. God's always been gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Don't let anyone tell you the God of the Old Testament isn't like that. Here we are, a thousand years before Jesus, and here he is doing what he always does. And Jonah hates him for it. Now, at this point, After all of the disobedience, after all of the stubbornness, after all of the bad attitude, surely at this point, God is going to say, I'm done with this. You know, Jonah actually prays that God would take his life. He asks God to kill him. He says, It'd be better for me to die than to live. So not only do I feel like at this point God should give up on Jonah and go, forget about it, but Jonah literally wants God to say, forget about it. And the Lord replied, this is chapter 4, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? That's it. That's the response. There's something kind of beautifully patient and kind about God's response to this incredible anger. If you have ever been angry with God, to have that kind of answer here recorded in the Bible from one of the angriest-at-God people in the whole Bible, and he just says, why are you angry? Anyway, Jonah continues to be angry. He goes out of the city and he sits down on a hill overlooking the city where he can see it. And he thinks, I'm just going to sit here for 40 more days and see if God changes his mind. You know, God has said he's going to be gracious, he's going to forgive the people in Nineveh, but maybe he won't. Maybe he'll do what I want and and kill them all. So he sits down out of the city to wait and see what will happen. And God, in his graciousness, provides Jonah with a leafy plant to give shade to his head and ease his discomfort in the hot sun. Isn't that good? The patient and kind God of the Old Testament gives this man a shady plant to sit under. And Jonah loves that plant until the next day, when a worm comes and eats the plant, and it withers and dies in the hot sun, and Jonah goes to another level of anger. He says again that he wants to die. He says, "It would be better for me to die than to live." He is so angry. The one little moment when Jonah have a little bit of love in his heart for somebody other than himself. He loved that plant. And you know why he loved that plant? Because he loved himself. (laughs) He loved himself and the shade that it gave him. And God says, you have been concerned about this plant. You didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern? For the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, which is just a poetic way of saying they, they can't tell right from wrong. They don't know the truth yet. And also many animals. I forgot to change slides. God cares for the people of Nineveh. He even cares for their animals. And he doesn't care about them the way that Jonah cared about the plant. This isn't a self-seeking kind of care. This is true, deep compassion and love. And he loves Jonah like that. He's proven it again and again in spite of Jonah's anger and stubbornness. And he loves me like that. I want to say tonight that if thinking about going to Nineveh or even going to your school or your workplace or your family or your friends, if the idea of telling them that Jesus loves them freaks you out or makes you uncomfortable, if you would rather just hide or run away or be a a secret, private Christian, or if you've tried sharing it and you put your foot in your mouth and you say all the wrong things and people get annoyed at you or offended or they start an argument you can't win, or he still loves you. He still loves you. And if he wants to use you, He wanted to use Jonah, didn't he? If he wants to use you, he will. Remember, Jonah reached the sailors on that ship, not because he preached a great evangelistic message, not because he, he knew all the answers to all of their belief blockers, He reached the people in Nineveh, even their king, who he didn't actually speak to personally. The message got passed along. Not because he said the right things or did the right things. Not because he convinced them with a beautiful speech about how great God is, how loving and compassionate. The only success Jonah had, if you read this book, it's hilarious how useless and terrible he is. And yet he succeeds because God is doing it. God is the amazing evangelist. And God works through him, in spite of him. And God makes it all happen. So, my sermon to me which may be my sermon to some of you, is trust God. If God is calling you, if you feel that sense of compulsion and duty that Jonah felt when he was told to go to Nineveh, and if you don't like that feeling, and if you don't want to say anything and you don't want to do anything and you just want to curl up in a ball and hide or run away or get on a ship and sail as far away as you can get, God loves you and you don't have to stress about it. He will use you if He wants to. And you can just rest in His ability to make it work no matter what. If you are amazing and gifted, use your amazingness and your giftedness. God's given it to you to use. And if you are useless, like Jonah, Use that too, because God can overcome that and use that as well. My my friends, when I was a teenager who didn't know Jesus, like Luke, who, I can't tell you what I did, but I did something in spite of myself, and he became a Christian. My friend Adam, who I had those arguments with, who knew every answer, every atheist argument. Well, God did something in spite of me, or through me, in spite of me knowing it was me somehow god made it work we need to rest in god's ability to make it work i want to encourage you as we preach through this series that we're calling beyond and as we think about what it looks like to be a christian rubbing up against people who don't yet know jesus in your life uh, whether that's the things that you do or the things that you say or just the way that you be and how you live your life Don't let it become a guilt trip. Don't let it weigh on you that this is too hard and you can't do it. No matter how hard it is, rest in God's ability. He can do it. Do your best, do a better job than Jonah, and trust God to make it work.